0: to tell you, church, some sermons feel a little bit more like a fight to get ready for. And I grew up Pentecostal. So I kind of interpret that to mean like, let's go Jesus. (laughs) Okay. So it's a little ironic also because today's message is about mercy. Uh, So it's kind of funny that I'd have to fight for it, right? That I'd feel the need to fight for it, but I am today. And so I know some of us in the room who's feeling like some mercy could be helpful in their life. (laughs) Some of you probably are like, we could use mercy. run out at some point, I know, I see you, we all need this, so I just want to say, one, we're fighting for this together today, and two, uh, Jesus is going to show up, I got confidence in that, I got confidence in that, all right, so we're in, we're in week two of a three-week series from Micah 6.8, which says, do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly, can okay, I really, I'm glad that I got, I'm glad I got the love one, I'm glad that it says, love, mercy, <laughs> Because love to me, people kind of intuitively know that love is a little bit visceral, right? You you feel an attraction and like sometimes it just happens in your guts and you're like, whoa. <laughs> right? It takes you, it takes you sometimes. Love captures you a little bit sometimes. Also, people in somewhat healthy relationships understand that love is also about being a kind of a giver and a receiver, right? <laughs> Unrequited love just stinks. That just stinks. So so I think the word love, the invitation to love mercy today is is juicy and rich. And we're going to get at this, okay? Uh, I want to I talk about today how do we get this mercy into our inner lives. I could use some in here. How do we get it in these outer lives and the relationships with people that we love? It's it's probably hardest to be merciful with the people in our lives that we see every dang day. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean. Uh, and, and how do we do it? an outer life and life together kind of way. This is what politics is asking. So like, what does Jesus mean when he says that, that mercy can permeate those areas? Okay, and so to do that, we're gonna, I, I got nervous about doing this. It felt like too much, but we're gonna do it. We're gonna look at a couple of pictures in the Bible. And here's why I think we gotta do that. Mercy is all over this thing. It is the story, it's like the meta-narrative of the Bible. And so I think we're gonna look, we're gonna like sit up to the table. You know when you pass photos around at grandma's house <laughs> and you kind of say, yeah, look at that, look at that. And you get a picture of grandma from like different places in her life and different parts of her story and you get to see a fuller picture of grandma, right? It's kind of fun. We're gonna do that today with mercy. We're gonna look at a couple stories, a couple places where, the, where God does this, shows up in a merciful way and what does it look like? You with me? Is everybody ready for some mercy? <laughs> Yeah, I think we uh, 2020, baby. Okay, uh, we let's pray. Let's pray, and then we'll go. Man, Father, we expect we expect you to show up with us today. We ask you to come with all your wisdom and all your power and all your presence, and we ask Lord to encounter the heart of who you are, and then Lord, we ask you to do something in us and through us and with us, and so we just open ourselves up to that right now. We say come and have your way. Amen. Amen. All right. If you got a Bible with you or a phone and you want to go to Exodus 17, we're going to start there. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 17. Okay? I got to breathe. I feel very it's allergy season. Is anybody feeling that? <laughs> Breathing is challenging. Mercy, Jesus. <laughs> okay. So, Exodus 17. We're going to go God's people have just been liberated from from slavery in Egypt. Okay, I, I, want, I just like to remind us that the Bible is not necessarily a story of the good times. So, 2020, I think that matters to remember that the people we look to in the story of God's work is full of hard times. Okay, so they've just been liberated from slavery. The whole Israelite community—I'm going to start reading at the beginning—was traveling from the desert, from place to place, as the Lord commanded. Who likes living that way? <laughs> Already, I'm like, give me the plan. Okay, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water. And so they quarreled with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. And Moses goes, why do you quarrel with me? All right, why do you put the Lord to the test? Already Moses has an idea about how this is supposed to work. Why quarrel with me? Why are you putting God to the test? And the people were thirsty for water there and they kept grumbling against Moses. And they say, now let's think here. This is pretty logical. Why would you bring us out of Egypt, Moses, and make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? (laughs) Reasonable. I think they get a bad rap sometimes for being whiny babies. Being thirsty is a reality. (laughs) It is a reality. It is a life-threatening one. Okay, so this, I think this question is genuine. And Moses goes to the Lord. What am I going to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Okay, now... I hadn't seen this this way before. The Lord answers Moses. He says, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders, and take take in your hand the staff which you struck, and go. And then, listen to this, I will stand there before you. I will stand there before you by the rock. You'll strike it, and water come out for the people to drink. And so Moses did this, and he called the place Massah, testing, and Meribah, quarreling, You might call it the dinner table. And the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord and they were saying, is the Lord among us or not? Or not. Who's asked that question this week? Are you here or not? Do you have this or not? I don't know that you do. I don't know that I feel the reality of your presence in this place right now. And uh, again, I don't think they deserve the bad rap for that. I think that's a valid question. Do you have me or not? And I want to also point out, let's look at the dynamic here. Who are these people yelling at, right? They're yelling at Moses. Have you been in that role before? <laughs> like, don't kill the messenger. They're yelling at Moses. God is kind of standing on the periphery of this conversation, being utterly overlooked as a resource or a provider. Right? They're not, they're not curious how God's going to provide the water. They're curious how Moses is going to provide the water. That feels a little like 2020. You feel that in your house? <laughs> dad mom where where are you getting this from how are you going to take care of the situation what are you going to do how are you going to solve this problem hold on i gotta fix my clippy there we go and so so moses comes to god with the question and he just says what am i supposed to do (laughs) okay that right there folks that is a call for mercy What am I supposed to do? They're coming after me. The pressures of this situation are coming after me. And here's the thing about Jesus, about God, I gotta stop, they're all together, but they're not right now. God, God doesn't try to justify anything. God doesn't have to have a logical conversation with anyone. God doesn't have to rationalize any of this. God says, oh, you are thirsty, I will stand before you let that let that sink into you for a second god doesn't need you to to maneuver religion in your life god doesn't need you to justify faithfulness to him early early in this book god has set a precedent that says i will do it god can hear oh life stinks right now god can hear oh i have a need right now god can hear all of that and god can say i'll stand before you there's something so big. I don't know if I can do that, right? I want to defend myself. I have an ego that sometimes needs to be finessed. I have, I have a reputation to protect. God didn't do any of that. God said, you're thirsty? Here I am. Okay, so I, I, there's, there's something about this God that, that just knows how to recognize this. And so let's talk first. So we're going to talk about this how. How the mercy cycle flows. Okay, how do we get in this mercy cycle game? And I think the first piece is recognizing that in our icky places, in our needy places, in our sinful places, in our whiny places, in our places, God says, you know what, I'll stand here before you. That's a merciful God. Okay, now let's talk for a second about the human role. Okay, there is a human role to play here. Uh, and I think Psalm 85 describes this perfectly. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit of this. This is also post-big traumatic experience for Israel. They've just gotten out of another situation. They've been in Ab- uh, Babylonian exile. And they get back, and, and the psalmist is writing about, what do we do now? Okay, they've experienced forgiveness. They've experienced peace. Uh, and now they're asking, like, God, are you going to stay mad at us, even though we really screwed up? Are you going to keep being mad at us? And then this happens. Okay, it says, verse uh, this is Psalm 85, 9 says, surely the Lord's salvation is near. This won't look this way forever. Surely something else is coming for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Okay, that's pretty good. And then here's, here's real good. Truthfulness springs up from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. Do you hear that? truthfulness telling the truth about our current reality and needs and wants and desires and longings springs up from the earth that sounds like some whiny israelites in the desert i am thirsty what are you going to do about it truthfulness springs up and when we spring it upward when we acknowledge that god up there is hearing us and listening to us that invites us into this righteousness coming back down it comes on a superhighway Right this is this is a relationship I want to be in. The kind that can shoot all of my truthfulness of a situation upward and God can say I I'm coming back. My righteousness will come and meet you in that truthfulness. I want to I think sometimes we we get an idea that that mercy to be merciful cannot bear the weight of the truth. <laughs> You ever felt that in an interpersonal relationship where you're like, if I tell the whole truth about how I'm feeling or what I'm thinking or how I think you're behaving towards me, the mercy won't be able to handle it. You ever feel that? <laughs> like like we hold back. We hold back pieces of our truth. We, we hold on to it. And I think the reality is we hold on to it because we don't necessarily trust that the person on the other side has, has room for that in their version of mercy right? (laughs) We don't know. We don't know if they can take it. Okay. And this is, again, for me, this is a picture of a God who says, I don't care what you've got. I will stand before you. Okay. Whatever, however big of a picture you need to be able to trust someone with the whole truth, whatever kind of person you need that to be, God is that to the nth degree, right? God can take all of the truth of your reality. And let's, for a second church, I'm talking about the hard things, Okay, there are, there are, statistically, people in this space have experienced the hardest truths, the hardest realities of abuse and neglect, of, of <laughs> the things I don't want to take as kids are here. We, we've been there. We've done that. We've experienced that. And God's mercy bears the full weight of all of that reality. Okay, it holds it. It's, he's trustworthy with it. Okay, so this reality, this reality that says that, <laughs> that I, I need, excuse me. I need to do something to, do, to move that truth. I need to be something to like, do something about this reality. Guys, you got to turn your eyes. you got to throw your truth upward, and you got to expect that the righteousness of God will meet you. He has proven from the beginning that this is the kind of relationship he is. He signed a covenant with people who he knew would stink at covenant life, and he stayed in it. Okay, some of us, I think, need to remember that, that all of our truth has room in the capacity of God's heart. There's room there. Okay, how mercy works. We throw our truth at God and he holds it. He holds all of it. He doesn't judge. He says, this sucks. I can take it with you. Okay, the story of God in the Bible is, uh, is not stopped there, right? It keeps going. I want to talk for a second. Let's move forward. Let's move forward. I want to talk one Jesus story and then one us story. Um, one of my favorite pictures of mercy in the New Testament is a story of uh, Jesus going to Matthew, the tax collector's house. Okay, who, pick in your mind, do this. You just don't like this person. Pick one. <laughs> you, don't, you don't trust their profession. You don't, you don't rely on them. You don't think they're worth. Can you see this person? Okay, and then can you put yourself in their living room? Can you put yourself in the living room with somebody that you just kind of think is scummy? This is how Jesus selected some of his disciples. <laughs> what? You gotta have a merciful heart to do that. You gotta, you gotta have a heart that says like, it's not necessarily about you and what you do. It's about, it's about you reaching to me. Okay, now like Matthew didn't stay there, right? Transformed, he was transformed. And this is also how mercy works. But, but Jesus is sitting in, in this disciple's house. He's sitting with Matthew and, and all of Matthew's friends. Okay, it says all the other tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> Someday in heaven, it'd be fun to like see all the descriptions when people just get called lumped together as sinners. <laughs> like, cool, cool. So Jesus is sitting in this house. And the Pharisees come by right and they're like whoa 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 and they don't even talk to Jesus they go find some disciples for a side conversation aren't we all masters of the side conversation I think that's probably a top three way that mercy lack of mercy shows up in my life the side conversation anyway so he's side conversation with the Pharisees and he's like what are you doing who is this guy? Who eats here? Who belongs here? And Jesus answers. He's got like that teacher vision, you know, that can see things like happening over here. Jesus answers. <laughs> and he says, you know what? Go and learn what this means. AKA, hey, smart guys, you're missing something. And, it, and here's what he says. He says, go and figure out what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Does know where that comes from? Bible trivia, Huh? <laughs> a couple of people are like, psh, psh. it's Hosea. It's an Old Testament prophet. Okay, Jesus is saying, hey, remember this thing you're supposed to be good at? Knowing the right stuff? Having a handle on religious protocols? Remember that thing? You have no clue what that means. Jesus says, you have no clue what that means. He says, go and learn this. Go and learn what it means to desire mercy, that God desired mercy and not sacrifice. And you know what it meant in Hosea's land? It meant, hey, Stop talking about God if you're not taking care of people. Straight up. Straight up. But man, I don't care if you show up in the temple and you do your religious stuff. I don't care if you go to Mercy Vineyard Church. I'm, it's a real guy. I don't care if you go sit and listen to sermons or you do the podcasting and you don't take care of people. It doesn't matter. I don't, I don't love that. <laughs> Like, just to be real honest, I, I kind of prefer sometimes to think that, uh, like, Jesus knows I'm trying. But Jesus has some pretty strong words, right? If we're talking about truth springing up and righteousness springing down, Jesus has some pretty serious thoughts about the pay it forward idea. Okay, and I, I, I struggle, I struggle, I struggle to get to the why of this. Like, is it because when, when I'm merciful, there's good in it for me? That's, definitely true right that's definitely true is it because is it because well god was merciful so we should do as god did that's definitely true right i, I don't know i don't know if somebody's got the answer to this <laughs> let's i'll take you to coffee okay but like sometimes sometimes i i do what god says just because he told me to and i'll tell you that works with about two percent of the population anybody else like that <laughs> can get away with telling me that. Some people can get away with saying, because I told you so. <laughs> it is not a lot. It is not a lot of people. And, and God, I got to believe the God who poured out mercy to me in the way that he poured out mercy to me, where he says, I see all of your stuff, all of your truth, all of your reality, and I default to love and forgiveness and acceptance. That guy bides some credibility. Right? He buys some credibility in my eyes. He buys the ability to tell me, go and do this. Go and learn this. All right, and here's, here's the other last idea. Here's why I think he says, go and learn. Jesus was sitting in a room proximate to the brokenness of other people. Right? This is where he used the line, I, I, I'm here for, for uh, the sick. Right, The sick need a hospital, not, not healthy people. That's where this line comes from. And he's sitting in this room with people who he's about to do a couple years of relationship with. okay. And he is examining, right? he's exhibiting what mercy looks like. It looks like staying proximate to the brokenness of people. And you know what? When I do that, when I am proximate to the brokenness of other people, sometimes it drives me bananas. (laughs) Sometimes it's too much. I'm an Enneagram 5. Your needs are definitely going to overtake me. They're going to swallow me up. I don't have anything for you. I don't know if pastoring is a good idea. But (laughs) this this is hard reality. It's a hard place to live. But Jesus says, if you want mercy in your life, if you desire mercy, go and get proximate to people who are broken and hurting and need things. Okay, And, And I do believe this. While you're doing that, you are growing God's heart of mercy in you. Okay, this is the Jesus who said, you're going to do greater works than, than I did. Which I'm kind of like, okay. <laughs> you ever feel like, okay. But, but this, is the, this is the workout. You do that. You go and you get in those places with those people who have those needs. And then you remember in those places with those people and those needs that we have those places and those needs. Right, that there is no us and them. And I think this is the beauty of getting proximate. It puts you it puts you in a position where you can understand your collective truth, our collective need, our collective grace that the Father offers us. Okay, and, and the longer you stay in a place, I think the deeper you see it. Right? You can stop by, you can stop by and check your, your like mercy list of like good things to do. Uh, and that's different than showing up in a small group of somebody for twelve weeks. Through walking through miscarriage with somebody. This is different than than watching kids who can't read take two years to learn how to read, to being part of the process, to staying proximate. Get where I'm going with this? Okay, so so I want to ask us, I want to invite us to two two things today. One, I I felt this very strongly as I was praying this week. Some of us have not encountered a merciful God in a long time. Some of us have not been willing to lay our truth out before a merciful God. And so some of us are holding on to a lot of pain and shame that you would like to be done holding on to. Okay, there's a merciful God who can meet you with that. And uh, I would love to pray with you if that's you. Okay, I would love to connect you with more resources too. If you if you need follow-up help. I know sometimes at church it's like, I don't want you to just pray and walk away on me. Okay, so, so some of us need to encounter that kind of mercy. Okay, and prayer team, you can start coming up if you want. Worship, worship team is the one. Okay, now here's, here's a real practical one, folks. This is real practical. I'm a, I have an education background. I believe that education changes lives. That, that students learning that they can think and know things and, be, and be develop some confidence, it, it opens up pathways to them like nothing else. And so, here's where I'm going with this. Uh, the distance learning situation of 2020, it needs some mercy. <laughs> Parents, we're losing, people are losing it. (laughs) Like it is an impossible task to full-time work and full-time parent and full-time teach. I I see you. (laughs) And so here's what we wanna do at Mercy. We are trying to get in touch with people who who are facing this overwhelming task and acting as the heart of the father that says, yep, this stinks and we can do something about it. Okay, so we are slowly, slowly and as safely and wisely and, and as justly as we can trying to connect some people to distance learning co-ops at Mercy, okay, meaning we are opening up one room at a time of our building for parents who either can partner with a family who does not have the ability to, to supervise their own kids' distance learning, <laughs> right, they're, they're single parents, they, they're both working full-time, they have to be somewhere for a job. So we're asking for people who are willing to consider partnering, showing up in the space working with their own kids and possibly another family's kids who needs a resource that's option 1 okay 2 if you don't have kids and you have a couple of hours a week we're looking for people who are just willing to pitch in some time to sit next to a kid on a computer screen and click links to zoom meetings you know <laughs> it's real thrilling it's real thrilling stuff we're looking for a couple of people to do that and then 3 we, we, again, I would encourage you to do one and two if you are able to get proximate, to get face-to-face time with people who are in need. And then three, if that's not a reality for you and you still want to help, you could donate money so that we could pay uh, facilitators to work with people whose parents are unable to, to manage this load. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. So, so if, if you have any interest in that, giving-wise, you can use the app and there's a line for the distance learning co-op. Any, any other volunteering or getting connected. Or if you know families that are losing it, okay, you don't have to be like totally, I know I shouldn't say it that way. Families who could use the help, okay, families who could use the help, email me. And we want to connect those people. Okay, and I, I thank you for like, thanks for, thanks for hearing that, that part out. I think that is so critical that as a church, I think we're growing in this. We're growing in our ability to see needs in this community and get proximate to them. All right, I wanna pray and then we're gonna worship. Father, you, right now we wanna experience your mercy. Throw your truth up, people, throw it up. Where, where is your need? Today, right now, right here, what do you need? Offer that. Offer that to the Father. We are thankful for your presence. We are thankful for the way you take care of us. We are thankful that your heart is safe and big. Will you come and and be with us today? We love you. And help us, Lord, to, to be people of mercy in this community, in our families, in our own hearts. Amen.